0: Welcome to Rogue Chemist. I'm Jenna Flaugeris, former lab rat turned digital nomad. Rogue Chemist chronicles my misadventures around the world, including the people I've met and the lessons I've learned along the way. In my first episode, I'm going to recount one of my favorite travel stories. What makes for a good travel story, you ask? You might think that there was some delicious food involved, maybe some whirlwind romance or discovery of something cool and unexpected off the beaten tourist track. But nope, it was simply a bus ride. Not an air conditioned, reclining seat, ample personal space kind of bus ride, but one that wasn't pleasant in any way, shape or form. A bus ride from Addis Ababa to Ambo, the first of a string of towns I'd visit on my backpacking journey through Western Ethiopia a few years ago. This story is called Escape from Ambo. My stomach started to grumble in that familiar, ominous way after my hike in Wenchi, and a restless sleep, interrupted by quality toilet time, didn't offer much relief. I was hoping to get away with not getting sick, like I somehow managed to pull off in India, but those hopes were quickly dashed four days into my trip. So, while I still had some untapped energy left in the tank— Basically, my fuel was the burning desire to leave Ambo, and an empty stomach. I felt like even a crumb of injera would quickly end up in the toilet. I was eager to continue my journey west and leave on a bus heading to Nekemte, a town also in the Oromia region of the country, ASAP. I felt like I could not leave Ambo fast enough, but the town conspired against me. A thunderstorm had passed through the previous night and left the town without power. I was keen to catch an early morning bus, but two parallel inconveniences delayed my escape. The ATMs at the banks were offline due to the power outage, I needed cash for my bus ticket, and no one seemed to know what happened to the laundry I had dropped off at the reception desk the day before, which I was assured would be ready for that morning. After getting the runaround from the hotel clerk, the same one who accompanied me to Mount Wenchy without an invitation, I was directed to a very confused cleaning lady eventually ending up back at the reception desk where I started. I resorted to Ndala, the hotel manager, to locate my laundry bag. He found it exactly where the hotel clerk, a different one, had left it the day before. At the reception desk, of course. Still full of dirty clothes. I had already paid for the clothes to be washed, which was a no-no on the part of the hotel clerk, apparently. Andala said that I should not have paid in advance, and I was told that I couldn't be refunded. Not caring much about 100 burr at this point, and desperate to get the hell out of Dodge, I stuffed my dirty clothes into my backpack and headed on foot to the bus station. Luckily, the ATMs were back online at least. If you decide to take the minibus in Ethiopia, don't expect it to be particularly safe or comfortable. That being said, the level of discomfort is pretty reasonable to endure on short rides within a city, but longer distances can seriously test your tolerance limits, as I would quickly find out. Locating a minibus to Nkemte from Ambo at the station was easy enough, but the driver insisted on packing it beyond capacity, as is customary, so it wasn't exactly the speedy getaway I was hoping for. My stomach groaned in discontent. Just when I thought we were full, passengers continued to trickle onto the minibus, a few of the latecomers having to sit on the laps of other passengers. One woman vehemently protested when the driver demanded she make room for yet another passenger, when there was clearly no room. They argued back and forth for a good five minutes, and the driver eventually got his way. When we departed about a half hour after I got on board, I was already ready to get the hell off. If the 10-hour bus ride from Guwahati to Naharlagan last year in northeast India was hell, by my very accurate math, this almost five-hour ride was approximately hell multiplied by three. I was sandwiched in the middle of the very back row between three other passengers, with the added discomfort of my back pressing against the junction between two seats, forcing me to awkwardly shift my body sideways to make myself fit into this grotesque human puzzle. I had the feeling I would become an expert contortionist before this trip was over. As the late morning heat of the sun began to set in, the van quickly became an oven, cooking us canned sardines. And since I wasn't sitting beside a window, I had no control over the airflow. Despite my intermittent requests to open a window, which seemed reasonable to me, no one near me wanted to keep one open except in short bursts, so I just had to suck it up and stick it out. Did I mention I'm claustrophobic? Making matters worse, my aching stomach added another element of danger to the ride. Every bump off the seat and sudden jolt, and there were many, made my bowels churn. Let the good times roll! I realize it's not the smartest idea in a hot country, and I definitely don't recommend this strategy, but I usually purposely dehydrate myself on long bus rides to minimize the need to pee. And in this case, I didn't want to tip my stomach over the edge either. Maybe it was the dehydration causing me to drift off, but I think I slipped into a meditative state at some point, where I just absorbed all the unpleasantness and held my shit together, literally, until the end. Fighting exhaustion and dehydration and looking exactly how I felt. Like shit, I immediately checked into Farmland Hotel, one of the better hotels in Nikemte listed in my guidebook with hot water, Wi-Fi, and its own restaurant. In my shitty state, I needed a good rest, food I didn't have to search for outside while feeling like a dying unicorn. I had already reached my tolerance limit for drawing attention on my way to the hotel and a long hot shower. The hotel only had double rooms with two single beds available for 500 burr per night, but I didn't care about the extra expense. I ate a meal of fasting furfur, a big plate of torn up injera soaked in a spicy sauce, which is typically eaten by Orthodox Christians for breakfast on Wednesday and Friday, the designated fasting days. Not so good for the stomach, but again, I didn't care. My weary soul needed the extra kick. I was neither physically nor mentally prepared to take on another potentially hellish seven-hour bus ride to Jimma at 6 a.m. the following morning. So I decided to lay low in Nekemte Day for another day and night. On the bright side, this provided a second opportunity for laundry. The hotel actually took care of it quickly, and for only 50 burr. It also gave me time to write and recover a little from my rundown state. Again, ignoring my protesting stomach, I ate a delicious meal of shiro tegamino, a spicy chickpea puree served boiling hot in a small pot and scooped onto the injera as needed. Admittedly, I was feeling a bit lackluster at this point in my trip, and was really looking forward to transiting the string of uninspiring stopover towns and towards the wilderness of the Kafa Biosphere Reserve. I had not had much peace and quiet due to having hotel rooms facing busy streets. Earplugs helped a little, but I made a mental note to ask for a non street side room next time. I could really have used something to reinvigorate my senses, other than noisy traffic and locals exclaiming, Ferengi, which means foreigner, at me at every turn. I had enough energy that day to go for a short walk around the vicinity of my hotel and discovered Wolega Museum, one of two tourist attractions in Nikemte mentioned in my guidebook. It was closed, even though I was perfectly within the opening times listed at the entrance. I then asked a Bajaj driver to take me to the second tourist attraction, Kumza Morota Palace. Once again, I faced a closed gate despite arriving within opening hours. The armed security guard just shook his head on smiling from behind the gate without providing any meaningful indication of an opening time. So the Bajaj driver just turned around and I went back to my hotel, slightly frustrated. Apparently, opening times, at least for some establishments, are completely irrelevant. Coming from the West, where businesses run predictably and adhere to a fixed schedule, this kind of less structured system is hard to adapt to. As far as small towns go, Nekemte seemed pretty nondescript a conclusion I came to after browsing the main streets. But it didn't really matter much anyway because I was in no shape to go hunting for hidden treasure anyway. I did come across a few treasures, though, when I returned to Wolega Museum in the afternoon and was pleased to find it open. I got the impression that I was the only visitor that day, or even for many days. The guide couldn't speak any English, but he excitedly showed me the small collection of animal skulls, traditional tools and clothing, and other ethnological representations of Wolega culture. While walking around the town later that day, I passed a few young boys sitting on the side of the street. One greeted me in English, so I asked him for directions to the main market. I thanked him, and he offered to show me, but I graciously declined. It was just down the street. And I started walking away. I heard running behind me and, surprise, there he was, stating he was on his way to school anyway and could walk with me. This persistence to accompany tourists seemed to be a theme here. He asked me if I was traveling alone, and I said yes. I don't typically lie about this fact because I like for people to know that it's perfectly fine for a woman to travel alone. But on the other hand, I would definitely lie if I felt uncomfortable or threatened. I also certainly wouldn't tell someone where I was staying. He responded with, someone might try to kill you here. Um, say what? Not exactly a laughing matter, but I laughed lightly anyway and asked him what he meant. He then suggested that someone could strangle me, for example. After a few quick moments of consideration, I knew this was the language barrier and not a death threat. I think he meant to say that it was dangerous to travel alone as a woman and was looking out for me by suggesting the gruesome possibilities and shady folks I could encounter. But being told this by friends and strangers alike wasn't exactly new to me, so I wasn't too phased. Death threat or not, I ditched him, with a goodbye and thank you, of course, at the market, which was unfortunately almost dead because it wasn't one of the main market days. Bad timing. Oh well. I knew this style of trip wouldn't all be fun and games. And in the grand scheme of things, these types of troubles are all minor annoyances that I can laugh about, sometimes in the moment and sometimes after the fact. Finding humor in uncomfortable situations is luckily one of my strong suits. As long as I'm safe, I'm happy. What I've found along my travels is that the most comfortable and easy trips often aren't the most memorable experiences. It's actually the shit shows that really force you to dig down deep to get through them. Type two fun, let's say. The kind of fun that's borderline miserable while it's happening, but fun in hindsight. These are the experiences that make me feel most alive. I hope you enjoyed my story and thanks for listening. You can also find the written version of this story and some of my other travel stories on my blog, www.roguechemistblog.com. To see what I'm up to at the moment, Follow me on Instagram at roguechemist underscore blog.